everyone. You are listening to Episode 7 of Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. Today I'm going to chat with Larry Zaleski, a licensed chiropractor who utilizes classic network protocol. Using both light touch and structural adjusting, Larry assists the body in removing spinal cord tension and nerve interference. Without proper nerve supply, the body's ability to perceive, adapt, and recover from stress is greatly diminished. Larry's work frees the nervous system of tension and allows the person to function at a higher level with a restored ability to express his or her life. Within the body is an innate intelligence that animates, motivates, coordinates, and heals. This intelligence can better express itself when interference in the body-mind is removed. Today, we are going to chat about dysfunctional pathological patterns and the meningeal sheath that surrounds the spine. Hey, Larry, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Peachy keen. Peachy keen. Wow, that's cool. I like peachy keen. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, I believe the topic that we're going to focus on is patterns, patterns in the body. How Pathological people, dominant patterns. Patholog- yes. Wow, that's pathological dominant patterns. Okay, well, meaning, why don't you just take it away? Well, meaning pathological dominant patterns, meaning that patterns that are not really useful to, to a person anymore, but are repeatable in their life. Mm-hmm. Pathological patterns usually occur when somebody's stressed, and their ability to adapt to a situation has become greatly limited and fixed. And so their patterns or their behavior keeps repeating itself over and over again. Unfortunately, for most people, they're not even aware that they're doing it. How do we develop these patterns? Where do they come from? They come from what I think emotional, mental stress, where when the body, the physiology becomes stressed, The nervous system responds to it, but doesn't recover from it. It, In other words, there's a a system called the meningeal system that wraps around the brain and the spinal cord, Mm -hmm. and it has a certain dynamic action that it goes through when when you become stressed. It can stretch or twist, Mm -hmm. but it's supposed to recover. And a lot of times, if you're overly stressed, it stretches and twists and gets stuck in a certain position. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is as the movie like Frozen, uh-huh. you become frozen in your being. Ah, okay. So so the meninges gets gets twisted and stuck. How then do we unstuck it? Well, I mean, one of the one of the things that was developed by uh by a, a group of chiropractors called Network Chiropractic was was uh, meningeal work, but also also uh, cranial sacral work. Anything mm-hmm. that works with the meninges and attempts to free it up will unstick the meningeal system and allow the body and the nervous system to adapt more appropriately with everything. Mm-hmm. So adapt in ways that have to do with patterns? Adapt in the ways that are more healthy, that provide growth and development to each individual. Mm-hmm. Instead of being stuck and locked in a certain way that doesn't that's counterproductive for the person. Okay. And that also that, that includes that includes um that there's usually occurrences annually where people get sick at exactly the same time every year. Mm. They have the same, same response to seasonal changes. We call it, I mean, in, in our culture, we call them the flu mm-hmm. or colds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or when we celebrate a lot of Christmas time, what will happen is that after we've indulged in probably things that are probably not very good for us, then everybody gets sick and they wonder why. And mm-hmm. the reason why they get sick is because their body it's inability to adapt to the um, the ingestion of foods that weren't aren't really compatible with each person uh, becomes greatly enhanced during mm-hmm. Christmas and Thanksgiving. Okay, yeah. so it sounds like what you're saying if if things um, if these things can be seasonal or um, kind of at this approximately the same time every year that that 
that we're we're setting ourselves up somehow for this to happen. Naturally, we're setting ourselves up. We're unconsciously setting ourselves up every single day. And because our ability to adapt is so limited, and here we have a, a, a human being whose possibilities are unlimited, becoming more and more limited as one gets older. And the problem is, is that that's why we shun age because mm-hmm. we don't, we see older people as extremely limited. And really what, what should happen as you get older mm-hmm. or could happen, I shouldn't say should, uh, could happen is that your ability to expand and be much more flexible should be greater as you get older. That sounds absolutely wonderful. <laughs> so what are we doing wrong? What, what, what needs to change in order for that to happen? I, I would think that everyone who's listening to this would prefer to be uh, better and more flexible and it, you know, as they get older. I mean, we obviously have a lot more wisdom, right? Hopefully through all, our, all the things that we've been through. So um, how can we get the body to, to uh, also be more wise i guess <laughs> well we, we a lot of times people people realize that they have these pus they can do these things but but it's almost like but when faced with certain stresses in their life mm-hmm. they resume they go back into dominant pathological dominant patterns and the thing the one solution that i found is that people have to um be be, have a much more positive attitude towards body work. And body work is the way that it can indirectly or directly free up the body so that, so that the nervous system and the musculoskeletal system and all the other systems are much more flexible in the way they deal with things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are you saying perhaps that as we get older, um, we should be doing more body work? Absolutely. So... Would that does that include also um, things like yoga, Alexander technique, Feldenkrais, all the okay, all those things, all mm-hmm. those things. I mean, I, I have a personal bias because I'm a chiropractor, and I, 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 I'll say maybe as a as a as a push for myself is that like I wish that everybody on the planet would get adjusted, but I know that's not possible. But I know. That there's something, some modality that somebody somebody can choose, some body work modality that somebody can choose that they feel comfortable with the technique and the practitioner so that they can actually feel a certain amount of freedom moving through their body after each session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more, actually. Um, I don't know what I'd do without body work. Um, yeah, I notice that when people have it, and a lot of people say, well, you know, you keep, you have to repeat going to somebody over and over again. Well, it's because, well, but we don't question that we floss our teeth, mm-hmm. brush our teeth mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. It's just another, it's another uh, modality that you would use to enhance your health and well-being mm-hmm. and, and rid yourself of dominant patterns that are imprisoning you in a life that's, that instead of being limitless is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. So how how does this physiologically how does it how does it work uh, these Well a lot of it a lot of it operates unconsciously. I mean, when you when you are stressed, the body literally without you without you thinking about it, the meninges is designed to stretch to stretch up to 10 centimeters within the neural canal. Oh, that order, much. Yes, in order okay. for in order to adapt to what the body is perceiving as stress. So it's mobilized in certain capacities so that you can deal with the stress. Okay. Now, most of the time, or hopefully most of the time, you recover from that. The body will recover from that. But for a lot of people, they've had lots of stresses in their life where they don't recover. And what happens is that they become stressed in the... um, the nervous system and the meningeal system become stuck and then they get stressed some more and it gets stuck with some more. So it's a vicious cycle of getting more and more stuck. If you see older people, you see what they look like as they get older. They get more and more hunchback, more and more slow, slower. And you, and you notice that like, what's going on? It looks like, it looks like these people that 
you don't want anything to do with age, the aging process, mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. At, at people like that. But frankly, they're stuck. And if, if we're able to un, un, free ourselves up through body work, we'll become unstuck and our posture will, will change and our attitude will change and our life will change. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because um, the last interview I did was about being stuck, but more from an emotional mental perspective i understand and, that uh from a you know as a, a from a life coach perspective and so it's great that we're talking about this now in, in more of a physiological uh perspective of well really that. really the body the body and the mind behave holographically so whatever point that you enter the system mm-hmm. is going mm-hmm. to free up all the system directly or indirectly right so why is it then that when we're quote unquote stressed, um, it's, what's the, I guess I'd say it's worse that we are, are, are more stuck in this path. What was the again? Patho- pathological dominant pattern. In this pathological dominant pattern. Because we've already reinforced that pattern over and over again. And, and we haven't recovered, recovered from that pattern. So really with, with time and age, it becomes worse and worse and worse. And our ability to adopt, adapt becomes less to a great extent. It becomes reduced to a, a point that uh, we're barely living. Mm-hmm. How sad. How sad, but correctable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, so correctable with body work. Yes. What are what are some of the things that people can also just do on a daily basis? Well, there's... Uh, Yoga is an excellent thing. There's also a small. I have a. I, I offer a um, a small regiment uh, of exercises that were designed by a physiotherapist on Long Island that are yoga like that allow the body to recover from what we call uh, minor traumas to the musculoskeletal system. So it stretches every muscle in the body. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing as you get older is you have to move and you have to you have to exercise. If you want to stay vital, you want to stay active, and you want to stay adaptable, the most proactive thing you can do for yourself is you must move and exercise. Mm-hmm. You must. Right. I think that one of the best things a person can do if they have to sit is like sit on a ball. That's absolutely true because uh, a ball is an unequal platform. And our body needs to move to – we develop certain um, reflexes called proprioceptors mm-hmm. that allow us to know what our relationship to space is. And when we, we're on a ball, we, we actually are growing more proprioceptors and allowing that lower back region to become much more flexible. Mm-hmm. So I know like my dad used to work um, – he built himself like his desk. He had it up so that he would be so he'd stand instead of sitting. Would that be something well, that yeah, would be I better mean, too? Biomechanically, sitting is probably the worst posture that we could be in. Usually, the most healthy posture, but uh, and indigenous people do it all the time is squatting. Squatting, mm-hmm. squatting. Even when they go to um, the bathroom, mm-hmm. they squat. They mm-hmm. don't have toilet seats. Hmm. Okay, so uh, so yoga. Um, what about um, so when we get in these patterns and we're uh, we're repeating over and over behaviors unconsciously? Mm-hmm. I usually call that like reactive, being reactive because you're you're right. not you're not thinking about it, you're not being conscious, you're, not being so you're just reacting. You're reactive, right? Yes. So what what can someone do to stop to try to to break that pattern? Well. This is the tricky part. Mm-hmm. First, you, first, I, like I said before, you have to become aware of it. Right. And then when you slip into it again, one of the things that will definitely keep the pattern alive is feeling guilty about it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so one of the things that will happen is, is when people become, when they slip into a pattern and they realize they slipped into a pattern, they become guilty, which just reinforces the pattern within their collective nervous system Mm -hmm. so they'll just keep repeating it Mm -hmm. so one of the things one of the simple things is please don't feel guilty about what you do people slip all the time in just about everything 
And if you just go, all right, I did it again, and so what? I'm just going to move on with my life. Mm-hmm. Nix the guilt. Nix the guilt. X and that's on the very, guilt. very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And what I'm suggesting, I mean, it sounds, my explanation seems very simple and easy to do, but they take a long time to develop mm-hmm. for most people. Right. Some people probably, you could do it in like, like in a day, but we've, we've reinforced ourselves over, over, uh, 30 and 40 and 50, 60 years of our life to certain dominant patterns. Children probably have the least dominant patterns. As you can see, when they play or they get angry, yeah. they adapt very quickly and they, they can be an enemy to one of their friends one second and then a friend about two seconds mm-hmm. later. Yeah, that's true. Their ability true. to adapt is, is greater than ours. Mm-hmm. As I'm doing my own patterns. <laughs> so, yeah, so Larry's like, he, as he's talking, he's moving his hands on the table, and I'm sure that it's coming up in the recording, so I keep pointing to him. Yes, to stop. I know. It's <laughs> one of my nervous habits. Excuse me, audience. So, uh, <laughs> but I won't feel guilty. <laughs> so, that just reinforces the, the pattern, feeling guilty. And that's. Interesting, because that is something I didn't know. What about things like, I'm trying to think of things like from a coaching's perspective that I know, like observing yourself, um, deep breathing, um, what, what? You know, all those things are very good, but I think, I think the first thing, I mean, you have to, you have to crawl before you walk. Okay. And the first thing you have to is, is you have to become aware that you're, you're in a pattern. And when your body or your physiology is stuck, your ability to be even aware of that is greatly unconscious. So you have to kind of bring that up to consciousness. When it becomes conscious, then what can happen is that you can become aware of it. And if you become aware of it, you can at least make a choice whether you want to stay like you are or change. Right. And... As long as you, if you say, I want to stay the way I am, I like, I like my, my, my life. I, I find my suffering exquisite. Then by all means, continue. But if you want to change, if you want to, there's always a choice. People, people always seem to say, I had no choice. Of course they didn't have a choice because they can't see another choice because they're so stuck that they only see a reactive way of responding to things. You're saying then if, if a person has um, some kind of body work, something to uh, release the stuckness in the tissues of the body, right. that that is... Particularly the nervous system and the in meningeal the system, okay. yes. Then, then that is going to help them to be able to be more aware of their, their stuck reactive behaviors? Absolutely. They have to be aware of that first. Right. They have to be aware. And then they have to be not just aware, but that they want to change. Right. Yeah, that absolutely. Because if you. Because I know lots of people to. who have their, their, their husband or wife or friend or son or daughter or cousin or second cousin who they can see that these people need to change. But those people don't see that they need to change, and nobody changes mm-hmm. if the person directly doesn't see that he needs to change. Right. So, so you have to be a little compassionate and realize that if somebody is in their suffering pattern, they have to come to a certain awareness that it's not it's not fun anymore. And usually, that takes a few years to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I oftentimes I see people who are in this this loop. They're in a loop, just constant. They're loopers. They're loopers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, loopers. over and over yes. and over again, the same kind of behavior. And I, they're and, looping. And, and I, I, you know, oftentimes I'll wonder, when are you going to get tired of this? Tired when enough? When they get tired of to, <laughs> tired enough to uh, to make a statement, and the statement is very simple: there must be another way. Mm. If they can say that with with energy coming from their heart and mind. That other way will show up for them. Mm-hmm. But they need to get to that place of saying, there must be another way of doing this. If they keep saying that there's always going to be this way, nothing's going to change. Right. So, right. 
So what I'm suggesting to everyone, including myself, is that when you notice a pattern that you're in, that all you have, and you and you feel tremendously uncomfortable and almost like you don't feel you feel powerless to change it, just just say there must be another way, and another way will show up. You need to be patient and wait. You don't have to be active and proactive. You just have to be able to surrender to that fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that I really like um, that I think works really well, and it's it's something that I became. Um, even more aware of uh, in going to matrix energetic seminars mm-hmm. is the value of open-ended questions. You're not looking for an answer, but how can this be different? How can I be different? How can I do this differently? What do I need to do? What would it look like if this were different? Not looking for an answer, but it, it's almost like you're inviting the universe, your higher self, whatever to, to come in and, and help you out. There's two conditions that people need to accept in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Condition number one is they need to embrace uncertainty. Mm. And yes. the other thing is they have to embrace not, not being special. Oh, if they can embrace those two things, their life will be greatly enhanced. But our need to be certain and our need to be special is very, very dominant in our culture. Mm, that's true. To me, the only thing we can be certain of is change. <laughs> that nothing is certainly, you know, that, that, you know, things are, are constantly in flux and constantly changing. Absolutely. But, in this dimension, they're always like that. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on observing ways to become aware? So, so a person's getting body work. The type of body work that's going to help loosen the nervous system and open up the nervous system. Open up the nervous system. So, and the meninges. So, what what might be some ways that you recommend to your patients to to be more observant? How can they? I mean, like sometimes I'll say to people, you know, pretend like there's a a mini you on your shoulder watching you do this. That's an excellent way of looking at. There's also a um, a person who has written a book called um, Being Present. Mm-hmm. One of them is, I think his name is James Brown, and the other one is and right now it is eluding me. Um, yeah. But okay. it's being, pre- we'll, it's we'll, being we'll, present. We'll, we'll figure it out and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. So, it, it, does that uh, also relate present. to like mindfulness and yes, I would think it'd be being, mindfulness well, it's just being, being, being it's present being, in the it's moment. being right here in this moment instead of thinking about what's going to happen in the future or what has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know it's kind of old and it's probably um, boring to hear this, but one of the ways is you have to be present to where you are. Mm-hmm. And part of being present to where you are is realizing that there's a part of you that is here taking action, but there's another part that's an observer that's looking at what you're doing as you do it. And you have to kind of like cultivate the observer in order for you to be able to notice what you're doing. Right. I I like my observer to have a sense of humor. I think (laughs) humor saves the day. All the time. <laughs> you know, kind of Without humor, you are doomed. Yeah. You know, because my, my, you know, she's sitting there and going, I can't believe you're doing this. This yeah, is, I mean, wow. A lot this is really people, interesting. Yeah, a lot of people take themselves too seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you need to be lighter. Yes. Lighter. Part of being, part, part of being vibrant and healthy is being lighter. Mm-hmm. Literally more light in your body. And, and it, it isn't a, a fact of, of getting light in your body is removing the interferences to the expression of light that's already in your body. Mm-hmm. So that's more important. Mm-hmm. So, um, and one thing uh, we were talking about before we started the recording, uh, belly breathing. Yes. I, I think that's, let, let's just talk about that for a moment before we end, because I think that's important. We can be technical and call it diaphragmatic breathing. Okay. Yes. yes. I like the If diaphragm. you want to get serious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You were you were talking uh, a little bit about that at, and how uh, babies breathe. And- Absolutely, babies okay. breathe with their belly all the time. 
and so do little ones, toddlers too. Mm-hmm. They all breathe, belly breathe, naturally. So what changes that? Uh, they go to school. And at some point in school, I've noticed is that people become contracted and scared. Hmm. And as soon as they become contracted and scared, they their their sympathetic nervous system takes over, which is the nervous system that has to do with fight or flight. And all the breathing goes up to the chest where it's to mobilize the skeletal system to to run or fight. Mm-hmm. And it's very unconscious. And if you notice, and then and then I'll tell people, I'll kind of coach them into belly breathing. They'll say, well, I don't mean, I, I've never breathed like, I said, breathe like that. And I said, I'm sure you have. When you were a little boy or girl, you breathe like that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of remembering it. Mm-hmm. So how does belly breathing then uh, affect this, this stressful, contracted state? Because diaphragmatic breathing is visceral breathing. It's, mm-hmm. it's like whole body breathing. Okay. So basically, it's not just breathing from the lungs. It's like literally your whole body is breathing in and out. Contraction and expansion, in and out. When you do chest breathing, it's just a very localized area in your chest. Mm-hmm. And it's just to mobilize a certain capacity of your body to deal with the emergency that you perceive to be there. It doesn't have to be there actually, right? but you're actually perceiving it to be mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know when I tell myself, okay, you need to breathe, you know, because sometimes I'll catch myself if I'm nervous about something, I'll be mm-hmm. holding my breath. Um, especially when I play my harp, I hold my breath a lot. Yeah, <laughs> time to breathe. And I'll go, breathe, Janine, breathe. And, you know, do a nice deep, take a moment to do a nice deep breathing. Mm-hmm. And it just, it seems to also bring whatever's kind of scattered energy or mm-hmm. it, it kind of yeah, brings it center you. In, yeah. center center you into the present. Yes. Into Excellent. the present where it all exists. Right. It all exists in the present. Right. Not in the past, not in the future. They don't exist. Right. It's just the moment-to-moment present. That's a good ending. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. And here's much. another one. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You can quietly and gently enter the day. Mm. <laughs> so how do you mean that? Literally. Instead of being, instead of rushing and hurrying up, or uh, as my, my I, I had a sign constructed in my house, and I have it in my house, and uh, it says, quietly and gently enter the day. And my brother and, <laughs> said, well, I have a sign, too. And the sign says, good morning, let the stress begin. Oh, God. <laughs> so probably it would be a good idea <laughs> if, we all, if we all had two signs, quietly and gently enter the day. Or, good morning, let the stress begin. <laughs> and then we have a third sign saying choose. <laughs> I don't know how people start the day all, like, rushing around and um, they're late for everything and, right. and all stress. I, I have to. That's have urgency. To, that's stress. Yeah, that's that, I can't that's do that. That's that stuck pathological dominant pattern they're in. Mm. And I sadly to say, North America is in a pathological dominant pattern. Mm. Because we're rushing around all the time. It's true. And I, I, I mean, I certainly at one time in my life was, was like that. But so have I, I, you I know, still am in, in certain places in my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like in the morning, I make it a point. I like to lay in bed for a while uh, and, and just, and just, you know, like think about what I want to do today. Mm-hmm. And usually that's what a lot of thought of ideas, new ideas mm-hmm. and, and ways to do things comes to me. And then, you know, and then I like to greet the day and I like quiet, peace and quiet. And it's a wonderful just, time to begin yep. or a place to begin. Also probably taking a nice Epsom salt bath when you mm-hmm. first enter the day would mm-hmm. be a nice thing. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, we have to be aware that we're doing the other thing, mm-hmm. which is, Rushing around like a chicken without its head on. And you know how long they last? <laughs> Not very long. No. Yeah, and, and too many people are just rushing, rushing, rushing all the time. And really, it, I think it's important to take some time and think about, is this really how you want to live? Because each of those moments are not coming back. Absolutely. And... Is that really how you want to live? If it's how you want to live your life, I mean, some people get off on on that. They get off on yeah. the excitement until the excitement. they don't get off on the excitement. Right, right. And um, but I think so many people feel like they don't have any choice, but you do. 
you do have a choice. And that's where um, getting the body work so you can start getting yourself into another space. And being proactive with yourself and doing some, some form of exercise, yoga, mm-hmm. stretching, mm-hmm. also perhaps some meditation. Just mm-hmm. a brief two or three minutes. Yep. Nothing big. Doesn't have to be a long, drawn out thing. Just something where you're establishing a tone for the day that will be much more conducive to ease and flow and adaptation. And maybe, maybe some people need to get a different job, you know, Absolutely. or and, but those and, are, those are very hard issues for some people. Right. Exactly. When, when we're it, kicking in to the, to the limbic system of the, uh, Reptilian brain oh, the reptilian, of yeah. survival. Right. It's very, we have to, you know, and what happens also, which is very, I didn't mention this before I close, is that as soon as you become stressed, you go into the reptilian brain. Right. So you get into survival. And when you get into survival, you're not, your ability to be creative and productive is gone. Nil. Yep. Nil. Yep. Because because all of your energy is going into surviving. Right. Right. It's like you perceive mass, everything is dangerous and you have to adapt mm-hmm. to all the danger that's around you. Yep. But also what's around you is peace and harmony at the same time. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is make that. Like one of my friends said to me once, we used to have analog mm-hmm. radios. Do you remember that, Janine? Mm-hmm. Yes, I Long did. time yes. ago. <laughs> in a land far, far away. We had analog. And used to be a dial on yes, the thing. Yes. And the the amount of correction that we had to do to make 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 a um, a station come in clear was just a tiny little turn. Yeah, it's just I a little that. turn. Yeah. It's not just a it's not a dramatic thing, not a dramatic bells and whistle type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a little shift. Right. Right. Shift in perception. Mm-hmm. And if you Feel like you have no other choice, regardless of what it is, whether it's your work or wherever it is in your life, you do have choices. It's just that you're not, your, your focus is, is so, because not aware of, the stress, of it. you just have so to say, narrow yes, right now you're, that you're you, so you aware. can't see any right, other you choices. You cannot see the other choices. But they are there. They're they there. are there. And maybe you need somebody to help and you. And maybe you need somebody to coach you and say, We've done this before, and I've said this to a lot of my clients who come to see me to get adjusted. We've we've been here before. We're going to be out of this again. This is an old pattern. We've been here, remember? And they'll kind of like struggle and realize, oh, yeah, I've been here before. And you made it through it, and we're going to make it through it again. And eventually, whatever this is that we go into mm-hmm. will no longer exist. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Thank you so much, Larry. I hope our listeners got a few nuggets out of this to uh, help them make their life easier. Yes, (laughs) I hope so too. (laughs) Great. Take care. Take care. Thank you, Larry Zaleski, for a fun conversation. You gave us some thought-provoking ideas on how we develop pathological patterns. Love that alliteration. And how we can maintain more balance and flexibility in our lives, physically and emotionally. How many of you feel guilt-ridden when you don't live up to expectations? Yours and others. How about we give ourselves a break, acknowledge our flop with an air of neutrality, and move forward knowing more opportunities will come along for us to do better. Remember, there is no failure. We are just falling forward. Next up is a check-in with our medical herbalist, Krista Poulton. Let's see what she has to share with us today. Hi, Krista. How are you today? I'm doing great, Janine. It's great to uh, be on the podcast again. I'm really excited to share um, some potentially medicine-making facts today. Oh, that'd be wonderful because I know when I learned, started learning how to make medicine and it's just so much fun and it's so empowering to be able to do it yourself. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to learn about how to make their own tinctures, salves, teas, whatever you have to offer today. Great. Wonderful. Well, I agree with what you just said to you about it being really empowering. I think that, you know, back in the day, 
uh, we used to have these practices incorporated into uh, our everyday practice. It was also integrated into our nutrition a lot more, having herbal medicine um, be, you know, infused into different oils, into different foods. Um, and so it is just a really an everyday practice. And a lot of the things that we make for herbal medicine are things that you can find in your own kitchen pantry. So I do, I like teaching uh, my community on just, you know, looking at the herbs that are in their kitchen pantry. So their thyme, their sage, their cinnamon, their garlic, their ginger, and how those can be used um, just for simple at home colds and flus or cuts and scrapes and things like that. But then there is some really easy medicine making techniques like making salves, like making tinctures, of course, teas, if you can grow, you know, I mean, having like a small little garden box outside your window, you can grow a plentiful um, amount of herbs to make into teas. What would you recommend um, for someone who has just a small space of herbs to grow for tea? I would probably suggest uh, mint is a really easy one. So uh, mint will just spread. So keep it in a pot, actually. If you put it into your garden, you will have mint everywhere. Um, and anything really in the mint family. So lemon balm is really easy to grow as well. Um, chamomile is a little bit trickier. There's a little bit, It's a little bit more of a delicate plant. It's still very, very easy to grow it. Um, and calendula is really easy to grow as well. If you get calendula seeds. So it's a type of, we call it marigold um, or the common name is calendula. Most herbists will actually call it calendula um, based off its Latin name calendula officinalis because there is a type of marigold. It's a pot French marigold uh, that you grow in gardens. It's actually toxic. Um, So you don't want to mix up the medicinal marigold with the toxic marigold. And most of the time when you're growing the toxic marigold, you're growing it in your garden to repel insects. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does have a very different flower, very different leaf. So if you look up the Latin name, uh, calendula officinalis, it, it means one plant. Um, and you can always Google that image and make sure that you're getting those seeds. So calendula officinalis is a type of marigold, but you don't want to get it mixed up with a different type of marigold. Once you plant it and uh, let it go to seed, you will have plenty of seeds forever. I have. Absolutely. <laughs> That's one of those plants where you plant it once and it just keeps coming back every year. At least it doesn't spread like mint. I mean, mint really is invasive. You have to be careful with mint. But uh, calendula, you can, if you've got a nice little patch, uh, it, you know, it'll, it'll just keep reseeding itself and you don't have to keep buying seeds. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would you like to teach us today? Well, I thought I would teach you guys a, a basic uh, salve recipe um, and then how to make a, what we call a folk tincture. Um, so teas are really simple. So teas, if you grow your own plants, uh, there is a couple of techniques. So for harvesting um, teas um, and actually making a good cup of tea, I was just teaching my students uh, their, their first uh, kind of tea lesson. And, uh, you know, I taught them that they're, they're probably all making their tea wrong and they got, oh, no, no, no. And of course they are. So there's a few techniques with making a really good cup of tea. So I thought I would share that as well. Oh, that sounds great. Why don't we start with that? Okay. So when you're um, drying herbs, I'll just keep, I'll give you a few kind of techniques on drying herbs. So um, if you're going to be drying herbs, window screens are your best friends. So mm-hmm. if you, you know, you're taking your window screens down or you have extra ones, I have mesh ones that I've made myself. Um, but we want to have, make sure there's airflow all the way around uh, the plant when it's drying. So if it's drying in a basket or on a table or on a piece of paper, the underneath layer may start to deteriorate. So we do want to make sure there's air flow all around. So window screens are really great. Um, we can also do uh, like muffin drying racks, like those wire drying racks. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are really nice as well. They are pretty large holes, so it works good for bigger leaves and not really good for small flowers like chamomile. Um, so that's what I recommend for drying is to have some drying racks. You can also hang your herbs upside down. Um, we really want to make sure that it's out of the sun though. So sun will damage and deteriorate the chemical components of the plant that gives it its activity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of some techniques on drying. Um, For making a good cup of tea, there's a few things that you do want to uh, take into consideration. So, you know, there's the really basic things and, you know, I feel like we probably would have all known these things, uh, you know, been taught by our, our mothers, our grandmothers, or whoever's been passing on that lineage. But, you know, some things get uh, lost over the years. Um, so when you're making a really good cup of tea, 
Um, there's a few essentials. So if you're making a cup of mint tea, for example, mint or chamomile tea, we'll use both those as an example. Those are both plants that are rich in essential oils. In the essential oils are also known as a volatile oil. Mm-hmm. And that means that when you add heat to them, they volatize into the air, which is nice. Uh, sometimes you want to smell your cup of tea as you're sitting there and you want to smell it in the air. But those essential oils, so mint in particular, the essential oils are going to be antispasmodic in the digestive tract if consumed. Mm-hmm. Chamomile, the essential oil, is going to have the anti-inflammatory activity and um, the sedative um, activity in the essential oil. So if you're smelling the essential oil, think about how big your room is and how much you know that's diffusing out you're not going to get the medicinal activity. Okay. Uh, so the best way to uh, kind of conserve those essential oils so they're not in the air, because while smelling is nice, we don't. it's not going to get the same um, uh, strength of those essential oils internally. So a sim- really simple way is put a lid on your cup of tea. So there is old teacups actually have lids, mm-hmm. and that's what they're used for. So if you put the lid on the cup of tea, the steam will volatize those essential oils, they'll rise to the top of the lid, and they'll get stopped. They'll condense, and they'll drip back into your cup of tea. So you're drinking the essential oil of that plant, and it's going to have the activity. Good advice. Mm -hmm. Also, to find cups like that, I find um, Asian markets and Asian stores will, will have those. Usually- yeah, and that's because they are they're very proficient in making a good cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have those, you know, the cups with the lids, just put a saucer over it. That's going to work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing too, I wanted to make a note on chamomile is that chamomile in the store, and this is kind of where you know chamomile is usually. Uh, a herb where, you know, people first get introduced into herbal medicine. So it's usually mint or chamomile, echinacea. Um, and chamomile tea, a lot of people try for sleep. Mm-hmm. It's the first herb that they're like, oh, I heard it's good for sleep. So they go to the grocery store and they buy, you know, some kind of generic chamomile tea bag from, you know, some company. And it's not a medicinal variety, or it's not the medicinal dose anymore. So that chamomile tea um, actually goes through an extraction process before they package it. So that there's an essential oil that I was talking about, the one that's good for inflammation and good for sleep, so it has a sedative quality. Mm -hmm. That essential oil is really expensive to sell on the market. Yes, it is. I have some. But blue (laughs) camadoline, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's so lovely. But they often take it out of the chamomile um, before they sell the, the what's called the mark, the leftover part of that process, the, the leftover tea um, or that plant part before they put it into a tea bag. So that's why a lot of times chamomile tea mm. doesn't work great for people, you know, from just like the Lipton tea bags is because already once extracted and they've extracted out the sedative qualities in the essential oil. So it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of commercial herbal teas. Um, you might be getting a nice, uh, you know, a nice warm tea, a nice flavor, but you're not really getting the medicinal properties. Exactly. So, you know, if you're going to buy a good cup of, you know, a good cup of tea, really go for some good brands like traditional medicinals. So the ones, you know, if you want the medicinal activity, mm-hmm. go for something that they say it's going to be medicinal. So they, you know, it's a little bit more expensive. So instead of it being $2 for your box of tea, it's going to be maybe $5, but it's going to be worth it. So go for the more expensive tea for herbal teas if you're using it for a medicinal purpose, for a specific purpose. Otherwise, you can drink anything. But if you really want the medicinal quality um, and save it for that, you know, you don't have to just... Absolutely. Okay, great. Good advice. Absolutely. Great. And so another thing with making a cup, good cup of tea is that there's certain plants uh, that have lots of minerals, so lots of vitamins and minerals. So things like our nettles, our oats, our alfalfa, those plants do better if we extract them over a longer period of time. So I would mm-hmm. say the minimum is 15 minutes, but if you do an overnight infusion, so you make your hot tea 
or your hot water, I mean, and you pour it over the tea, you leave that overnight, you're going to get an increase in mineral and vitamin content by, you know, 20, 25%. So it's going to be, oh, wow. Yes, compared to just a 15 minute steep. So if you're really wanting to drink the the nettles because of the all the vitamins and the minerals or the alfalfa, the oats, uh, you do want to let it sit for a longer period of time. Okay, that's great. Now, Mm -hmm. um, I was just going to ask, is it better to, um, what am I thinking of? Okay, so like with chai herbs for chai tea, this isn't medicinal, but I know you want to simmer the herbs. But for medicinal purposes, are you wanting to simmer the herbs or is it better to just let them steep in, do you want to get the water to boiling point or below boiling point before you pour it over your, Mm -hmm. your herbs? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do have two different types of preparations for making a tea. Uh, So we have an infusion or a decoction. So an infusion is where we just pour the hot water over the tea and we let it steep. Um, And that is usually for the softer plant parts. So things like leaves and flowers and stems, uh, those are really easy just to make an infusion of. So we don't want to steep or to to boil them because we'll potentially boil away um, some of the good medicinal qualities mm-hmm. like the essential oils. So usually plants with high essential oils um, that smell really nice like lavender and rose, we just want to steep them. Okay. And how long How long would you steep them for? I always try to steep my plants for at least, um, you know, five minutes to 15 minutes. So, the, you know, it is a medicinal tea, so it does tend to be a bit stronger, um, especially those mineral-rich tree, teas. I, I have a, a, a teacher that um, she calls those medicinal broths because mm-hmm. they are more brothy than they are like a cup of tea. So they are a bit thicker um, and they have that green taste, um, which is, you know, an acquired taste. Herbalists love it. Um, I found out that I was at a, a um, health festival and I was offering my, my, my rejuvenating tea, which is full of nettles and borage and skullcap and really great things for the nervous system. But it was a, a strong brew and it was a very you know dark green, had lots of kind of mucilage coming out as well into the tea. And so it was a bit thicker. And a lot of people were like, whoa, this is, this is medicine. And, you know, they're used to just a cup of tea and they, they didn't think that it was going to be so strong of uh, flavor. Uh, so these are those mineral rich teas. Those ones are a bit stronger in flavor. But yeah, letting it sit for, you know, I would say five to 15 minutes. And then there's certain plants you want to do overnight. Mm-hmm. Then, so now with a strong tea like that, mm-hmm. is there any reason uh, that you couldn't add a little bit of honey or something mm-hmm. like that to... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if it's a strong tea and the the flavor isn't, you know, working with you, uh, you can, you know, lots of times I say uh, to patients too, they can dilute it down. So, you know, you make your cup of tea and if it's too strong, put it into like a mason jar. And, you know, if you're only having to take one cup anyway, um, usually I get my patients to make um, tea for the whole day in one go because Mm -hmm. teas are... Uh, there's a, a, you know, patient compliance goes down quite a bit with teas, I find. So uh, teas are, you know, you have to actually make the tea, you have to sit down and drink the cup of tea. And I find that uh, patient compliance, so uh, the willingness to do it, or the, you know, just even remembering to do it goes down, I would say 50% easily. Mm-hmm. Can you make tea and put it in the fridge for the next day? Absolutely. Yeah. So if okay. you make your tea and you don't go through it, I would put it into the fridge. I don't even counter to, you know, I would would put into the fridge absolutely and then in the fridge I would say try and drink it the next day for sure because there's no preservative quality in teas Uh, some of the plants will help to keep it a little bit so there's essential oils but there's also uh, plant components so we call them constituents Mm. uh, that will make the tea go off potentially faster so things like mucilage uh, different types of microbes like to feed off of mucilage so it could potentially go off faster Okay, so, great. The other, so the other type of, so we have the infusion and then we have what's known as a decoction. And a decoction is where we are uh, making a tea, but we're actually doing the, the simmering method, plants that are harder in nature. So we have barks, we have roots, uh, some berries, things like that, that are a bit harder that need to be boiled down. All of our mushrooms need to be simmered like this way. Um, and usually what mm-hmm. I do is I bring it up to a boil and then I turn it to a simmer. So I'll bring, you know, put on like medium heat, but get it, you know, medium, medium, not quite high, like between medium high, um, get it to a boil. And then I put it back down to a simmer. That's the, the ideal. And then you want to watch that and you want it to cock for about, I would say about, you know, depending on the plant, uh, some plants are 
you know, 10 minutes, it's fine. And then things, uh, you know, typically some really hard roots, uh, some mushrooms as well, like chaga, I would do a little bit longer. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. So I think that was wonderful. So now people can make their own teas, they don't have to buy teas in a bag. And if you if you do, you also can get um, uh, natural uh, paper mm-hmm. tea bags that you can use um, if you want to make your own uh, teas in tea bags too. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Krista. That was a great check in on teas and uh, have a great day. Thank you, Krista. And I thought I already knew how to make a proper cup of tea. Go figure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that this has been a valuable experience for you. You had some fun and enjoyed the podcast. Take care and be well. the end of our show. Thanks for listening. There were a lot of good ideas that you can apply to your life right now. I took some notes and we'll take action. Keeping It Real comes out every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher so you don't miss a beat. You can listen or download episodes from our website, realjanine.com. Email at realjanine at gmail.com or tweet at realjanine. If you use Facebook, go to Real Janine and leave comments there. And you will get notices of new episodes if you follow. And remember, Janine is spelled J-A-N-E-A-N.